Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Welcome to Gospel Tangents, the best source for Mormon history, science, and theology. I'm Rick Bennett. I'm excited to continue our conversation with TikTok star Dr. Dan McClellan. We're going to talk a little bit about the gods of Israel and whether um, Israel worshiped many gods or just one. We'll also talk about did God have a wife? You won't want to miss this conversation. Check it out. Now, do you have a newsletter or something? You probably should <laughs> I, mention I that should you are probably, a podcaster too, right? Just started up a podcast. My uh, my partner and I recorded our first episode on Thursday, so sure. uh, that we're hoping to launch the first week of March, and it will be called the Data Over Dogma Podcast. Ah. And um, uh, but I don't have a newsletter yet. I, I should though. I have I have a, a nice email list that um, okay. that uh, I use to let people know about the online classes okay. that I'm teaching. So Data Over Dogma is a um, a bit of a motto that my channel has had for for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you're a TikTok star. Uh, I I claim to be a TikTok star. <laughs> that's that's kind of where I uh, I got my start with with all of this. Uh, I I noticed a lot. I, I have to tell you, I had I've had a lot of listeners say you need to get Dan McClellan on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I appreciate those listeners uh, and uh, and glad we were finally able to get together now. And uh, yeah, the TikTok has been. A fascinating experience. Uh, I, I noticed that there were people sharing a lot of videos on or related to the Bible and religion in the ancient world, and it didn't seem to me that there was anybody who was kind of really in charge of what was going on with that. So I got a, a TikTok account and, and met a bunch of wonderful people and a lot of folks who are doing their best to stem the tide of misinformation that's being spread on social media and I thought I could add my voice to that bring uh, some credentials to this uh, to this battle against the spread of misinformation about the study of the Bible and, and religion and and it's been a fun experience uh, again I've met a bunch of wonderful people and uh, yeah there is a ton of work to do so uh, I'm still trying to post on TikTok every day, at least once, and uh, <laughs> I can't keep that up. I, I know I need to. I, I'm actually on TikTok, but I've posted oh, really? like two videos. Yeah, and I I don't do it every day. Well, well there and I there, should get in the habit, I guess. There there are a lot of folks who just lurk, 
and and that's fine. I'm sure a lot of the people I interact with on a daily basis, I, I think if I look them up, they're you know they're either they're private or they don't have any any videos because they're just there to comment and and interact. But it's a great community, um, and yeah, it's, I've expanded out to doing uh, sharing those videos on Instagram and Twitter, and now I have a YouTube channel as well uh, where I'm trying to to share this stuff. So yeah, it's been it's been a great experience and. Uh, and hopefully there's a lot more to come. Well, I, I should mention that uh, as a result of this, I've, I've had a number of people who over the, the last almost two years have said, oh, you should do online classes. So I started doing online classes. Uh, a bunch of people said you should write a book. I was like, I wrote a book. Um, it's, <laughs> it's open access. You can read it for free. Um, but uh, I've actually, uh, I am working on a, a trade volume now. So a, a book for a popular audience. That will talk about the development of uh, the God of the Bible as the different authors kind of elaborated on and innovated on how they thought about God uh, okay. over time. So that'll be fun. Cool. So jump back to Abraham for a second. Yeah. So would it be safe to say that Abraham was like, I don't know if I should say the God of Israel because Israel was his son, right? Because he, he wouldn't have said the God of Israel. But my God, Elohim or Adonai, I guess you say Adonai more than Elohim, right? Yeah, so Adonai is the substitution I use for the Tetragrammaton, yod heh vav -He, um, Y-H-W-H. And, and that would be the personal name of the God of Israel. Okay. And now Elohim is just the generic Hebrew word for God. And so that can function as a title uh, or as a generic noun. So. Okay, so Abraham's God, can we say, was Yahweh. He was like the head God and all those other Moabite gods and everybody else. And, <laughs> and his father's gods were just knuckleheads. And... Well, when we, look, when we look in Genesis and at Abraham's interactions with God, it seems that the concept of God there was more of an ancestral patriarchal deity and uh, fits a lot more comfortably in the divine profile of the Canaanite deity El. So uh, when we look in Exodus 6.3, when God introduces themselves to Moses for the second time, they say, I appeared to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, as El Shaddai. By my name, Adonai, I was not known to them which is a peculiar statement because we can look through the book of Genesis and we can see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all calling on the name Adonai. But when you look in the book of Abraham, excuse me, when you look in the, that's one of the problems of being a Mormon, that kind of comes up. <laughs> um, when you look in the book of Genesis, there's not a single personal name with a Yahwistic theophoric element. So theophoric element is is a part of the name that is either has a, a version of God's name in it or the word God. So my name's Daniel, which means God is my judge. So L, the last two letters, are the Hebrew word for God. Right. And so that's the theophoric element. And all over the Hebrew Bible, you have names that have Yahwistic theophoric elements. So names that begin with uh, J-O or end in I-A-H, or end in J-A-H, uh, Elijah, Hezekiah, um, Jehoshaphat, uh, Yehoshua, Joshua. All these names have Yahwistic theophoric elements, and those predominate throughout the Hebrew Bible. There's not a single one in the book of Genesis. Uh, all the names are L-based or, or have other theophoric elements in them. And so it seems that the earliest versions of the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were either before 
the introduction of Adonai as the God of Israel or were circulating within a group that may not have viewed Adonai as the God of Israel. And so in Abraham's, the earliest stories of Abraham, Adonai was probably not Abraham's God, it was probably El, who was a, a, a broader divine profile that was associated with uh, other Canaanite uh, societies as well. Well, because this is what I want to get into. It seems like there were a lot of Canaanite deities, right? You had El, you had Yahweh, you had... Um Moloch, you had Baal, you had uh, Asherah. Are there, that's five, that's pretty good. <laughs> How many more were there? Oh, well, you can look in the Ugaritic literature and you can find dozens and dozens of, of divine names. So uh, El, uh, Baal is another good one, uh, Asherah. You have uh, Mot, who is the, the god of death. Uh, you had Yam, who is the, the god of uh, the river or the sea. Uh, all kinds of different deities. And, and some of these are... Uh, national deities for other nations, and some of them were just a part of the mythology or the pantheon uh, in Ugarit. And Adonai is not one is not known in any pantheon outside of Israel. So, well, it brings up another question: um, <laughs> the Phoenicians. Uh huh. Can we say that the Phoenicians and the Canaanites and the Israelites are basically? Kind of the same people. They're very similar. Okay. Um, so the the Canaanite, Canaanite is kind of a, a very generic title that comes from the Bible, and it's basically the way that this little nation surrounded by all these other nations kind of lumped everybody else together. You're all Canaanites. Even and so, though, that would be kind of the area of modern day Israel. Could we call that because we call that the land of Canaan, right? Right. Yeah, and and so that's that's a, a, a biblical designation. But anciently, no one would have said, "Oh, I'm a Canaanite." Okay. They would have said, "I'm a Phoenician. I'm a Moabite. I'm an Edomite. I'm an Amorite. I'm right. all of these other things." Because what I understand about the Phoenician empire isn't really the right word, <laughs> but. Um, it spanned from like Lebanon, Syria, all the way down Israel. Did it skip over Egypt and was along North Africa? So uh, the there was Punic Phoenician societies in Northern Africa as well, but this is a were they Semitic later. speaking? Uh, Always yeah. later. Yeah, yeah. So okay. when um, yeah, a lot of that is around the middle of the. Uh, the middle to the late first millennium BC. So, Phoenicia, Canaan, kind of started in the Israel, Syria, Lebanon area. Yeah, and then uh, kind of spread to North Africa later. Uh, yeah, and a lot of that has to do with their economics and their trade and right. and things like that, and the use of the Phoenician language to uh, to facilitate a lot of. And was trade. the Phoenician language was it kind of like Aramaic or Hebrew? It's closer or? to Hebrew than to Aramaic. Okay. And so they, the Phoenician alphabet is the alphabet that was adopted um, in and around the land that we would call Canaan. So that's why Hebrew has adopted the Phoenician alphabet. But Israel really seems to have been uh, basically formed from Canaanite societies. So uh, most scholars would say that uh, Israel is just one of the Canaanite nations, but a nation that decided to 
self-identify as distinct from all the other nations and to then try to other all the nations in this process of distinguishing themselves. Uh, there's a, there's a, um, a term that some scholars use, schismogenesis, which is a reference to the use of differences, like identifying, picking out a difference between some societies and then making that an identity marker and focusing on that as a way to distinguish yourself from another society. Uh, so there are ways that uh, things like pork consumption and circumcision and uh, worshiping, worshiping specific deities became identity markers in later periods uh, because this was uh, what helped us say, this is what we do, that's what those other guys do. Uh, so Israel definitely developed out of Canaanite nations, which is why El is one of the, or you know, was likely the the main deity of the patriarchs. And then you have this other deity, Adonai, who comes in and seems to adopt a storm deity profile. And this is why there was so much friction between Adonai and Baal, because Baal is the storm deity in Canaan. And then you have this other deity who comes in who does the same stuff. And so they're, they're both trying to fill the same role in the same space. And so they're going to come into um, conflict with each other. And, and this is reflected in the, the contest between Elijah and the priests of Baal, where they're trying to see who is Ha Elohim, who is the deity. And their contest is who can send down fire from heaven and light the, the sacrificial altars, right. which is basically who's in charge of lightning who can send down a lightning bolt to set all this stuff on fire. Oh, nice. That makes a lot more sense. And so that's that's what the storm deity is supposed to be able to do. And Baal is unable to do it, but Adonai is successful. And so the people cry out, Adonai, who Elohim, who Elohim. So Adonai, he's the God, he's the God. Uh, but you have some other places where they're, in, particularly in the Psalms, where they're praising Adonai, but in terms that sound suspiciously like Baal. Uh, so Psalm 29, you have this sevenfold repetition of praise of the voice of Adonai, and it has the imagery is has to do with thunder and lightning, and powerful rains and things like that. But it mentions some place names, and all the place names are Lebanon, Phoenicia, up north, which is not Israel's territory, but was Baal's territory. And so a lot of scholars would argue that this was a, originally a hymn to Baal that was just appropriated by Adonai. And maybe, you know, we don't have a, a, an original copy, so we don't know, but it could have been as simple as just replacing the name. In fact, we do have another indication that that happened. Um, Isaiah 27.1, there's this statement that Adonai will uh, defeat the twisting serpent, the wriggling serpent, the uh, the... The dragon that is in the sea, I think, is how it ends in Isaiah 27.1. But this is about Leviathan. But if you go uh, 500, 600 years before Isaiah, the Ugaritic literature, there's a part of one text that praises Baal as the one who defeated Leviathan, the wriggling serpent, the twisting serpent, the dragon oh, wow. with seven heads. And so it's word for word using the exact same imagery and the same praise that is attributed to Baal in the Ugaritic literature from 1300, 1200, and it's attributed to Adonai um, in, you know, five, six hundred years later in Isaiah 27.1. So there are definitely examples of, of praise for Baal that was appropriated by people who wanted to praise Adonai as the storm deity. So 
But there's no place where L is a problem, where Adonai is in conflict with L, because that identity has just been fully appropriated. Uh, so let me make sure I understand. Adonai is another name for Yahweh? Yes, so that's that's the um, the substitution that I use in place of pronouncing the name just because that, that's kind of the standard academic uh, pronunciation, the one that you use. But on my channel, I've had uh, a number of, of folks who, who follow my channel who are Jewish who said, and hey... they would prefer you not to say that. They would prefer I not say that. So I've, I've committed to, to not using that pronunciation uh, when I'm producing content for general consumption. But when I'm in academic context, I will use uh, the other. So, okay. Yeah, but and and I know that's a little confusing for people. So one of my pinned yeah. videos on my TikTok account is this is why I say this. Okay, okay. I just want to make sure because I'm not used to using Adonai all the time, but now that I, I have it all, well, I think I have it. So, okay. So, I know <laughs> there is an an upcoming article in the Interpreter um, that. I think is a fascinating. I'm trying to time the release of it uh, with uh, when it's going to be released, so I don't want to give away too much information. Okay. Uh, but I want to give a little bit of information about it, um, and basically, kind of the thesis. And there's going to be another video coming up that I've already recorded, but I can't release yet. <laughs> and uh, the theory is, you know, when. King Josiah came to power. Um, the theory is the Israelites were very much into idol worship. And then we have King Josiah with the Josian reforms. And he's like, no, we're going to merge, I would say, El and Yahweh or El and Adonai. Mm -hmm. Okay. And make them kind of one God and we're going to become monotheists. Um, and that's kind of where the book of Deuteronomy comes in, okay. right? That is where the uh, most scholars agree the book of Deuteronomy originates, is okay. in the Josianic reforms. And so um, the theory is that Lehi was rebelling against the Josian reforms, and that's why he left Jerusalem. Interesting. And so, um, that's, that, so that's a preview coming up in the interpreter. I don't know exactly when, <laughs> but it's coming up. And I have an interview that I'm going to hopefully time with them. <laughs> so, um, what do you, I mean, this is kind of the first blush for you at that theory. I mean, do you agree that up until Josiah there was a lot of idol worship going on? So, I think that prior to Josiah, uh, none of, nobody had an issue with that. That there were temples all over Israel for and Asherah and Baal, Asherah, and everybody. whatever. Now there were, you know, certain priesthoods were like, "Hey, you should come over and, and worship uh, at our place, and not those other guys." Um, so I'm, I'm sure there was that, but there wasn't. There are no data that indicate there was any institutionalized, centralized prohibition on worshiping Asherah or worshiping other deities, and. When we get to Hezekiah, who's a few generations before Josiah, Hezekiah uh, has causes problems with Assyria and ticks off uh, Sennacherib. And Sennacherib comes and invades. And uh, this is just before 700 BCE. 
comes through, destroys a bunch of cities in the north, comes down and, and um, destroys Lachish and memorializes this back in Nineveh. There are these uh, reliefs, wall reliefs depicting... Nineveh is modern-day Mosul, Iraq, right? Uh, it's around there, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think so. Um, but uh, commemorates the destruction of Lachish in, in these bas-reliefs that shows them, uh, you know, beheading people and flaying people and um, driving if, uh, other people off into exile. But is, uh, Sennacherib is unable to take Jerusalem. Uh, in his own text, he says, I trapped Hezekiah in his city like a bird in a cage, but ultimately leaves without taking the city of Jerusalem. And so Hezekiah is successful in throwing off this vassalage. He no longer has to pay the tribute. And that's the lost ten tribes, essentially. Uh, that happened a little bit earlier. That was seven, around 722 BCE. But but very similar thing is going on. Sennacherib destroys all the land uh, except for Jerusalem. All the temples, all the cult sites are gone. And now everybody has to go to Jerusalem if they want to worship Adonai in a temple which central is uh, what I call de facto cult centralization. So now because you don't have any other temples, you're kind of forced to, to go to Jerusalem. And uh, one of this temple that I mentioned earlier in Arad that we uncovered in the 60s, uh, the dating of its destruction or its end seems to coincide with Sennacherib's invasion. And so some people looked at this and said, oh, this was Hezekiah. Uh, shutting everything down as a part of Hezekiah's reforms, getting rid of all the high places and all that stuff. But archaeologists noted nothing's really destroyed. Like the temple seems to have been quietly decommissioned and just buried under six feet of earth. And so other scholars now um, argue that it sounds like Hezekiah was trying to hide it, was just saying, shut everything down, we're going to cover it up, we're going to hide it so it doesn't get destroyed by the Assyrians who, you know, do their scorched earth thing wherever kind of they like go. like when Brigham Young covered up the Salt Lake Temple Foundation. Exactly. Yeah. And the hope would be that they go restore uh, the temple later on, but they never did, uh, which is why we find all this stuff that's still in perfect condition. So the standing stone, the incense altars, normally you would break that into pieces, but it was just laid on its side. And so... Um, it seems like worship was going on all over the place. Sennacherib comes through, creates this de facto cult centralization, and then you've got some other kings who are probably trying to restore the way things were before until we get to Josiah, who seems to decide, you know what, I kind of like the way this is, with everybody having to come to Jerusalem, with my temple getting all of the money and all the resources and having all the power, with my priesthood having all the control. And so... What a coincidence that he finds the book of the law that says everybody has to come to Jerusalem. You can't go anywhere else. Everybody has to use the Levitical priesthood. You can't use any other priesthood. Everybody has to, um, you know, come here. And so I would argue that this was Josiah saying, you know what, we're not going to go back to the way we did things before. We're going to do this new thing where it's just Jerusalem. So Josiah was kind of just taking all of Hezekiah's reforms or no uh well the the reforms are the later authors looking back and saying this is what happened the, this is what hezekiah was really yeah, doing yeah hezekiah was was shutting everything down because he was righteous except he didn't take care of everything but then josiah was the most righteous and josiah took care of everything and so most of the histories that we have in the bible in kings and samuel 
those are written hundreds of years later, but they're looking back and they're trying, they're writing that history in a way that serves the interests of, so Josiah says, oh, we found the earlier law. So now when we're looking back on the way they did things earlier, which was not following this law that they suddenly discovered, they have to go, oh, they were breaking the law. And so now they're all apostates. The people who did it earlier were all apostates. And now we've restored the way it was always supposed to be. And when in reality, Josiah was probably just trying to keep things the way they were when he was, uh, uh, when he was in power. And so that's what I argue is responsible for uh, the vilification, the demonization of Asherah. Um, for all of the, the stuff that followed after that demonized uh, using divine images and things like that, using other temples and things like that. So Could we say that uh, Josiah is the author of monotheism? <laughs> there, um, there have been people who've made that argument. I would, I would say probably not the author of monotheism, but probably the person who started the ball rolling that ultimately snowballed into what many centuries later would become monotheism. Because creating that cult centralization and that, uh, some people call it mono-Yahwism, you're only allowed to, there's just one place where Adonai can be worshipped and there's only one deity that you're supposed to worship. So that probably starts the ball rolling on um, the negotiations that would later end up with uh, this philosophical notion of only one God existing and all other beings being subordinate to, being derived from um, the only true deity. But, um, but yeah, I think that, that doesn't take place till well after the Bible's done. Oh, I, I thought you were going to say Deutero-Isaiah. No, I, I would argue that Deutero-Isaiah is not monotheistic, that this is, that this is, uh, that's the, the whole, um, uh, you know, Oakland, Oakland slash LA slash uh, Las Vegas Raiders rhetoric <laughs> that <laughs> the author of Deutero Isaiah is saying oh they're not they're not really deities but in a rhetorical way saying the only one that really matters is the God of Israel. I'm glad you're a sports fan. I <laughs> well, I don't talk to nearly enough historians <laughs> who are sports fans. Oh, they're they're out there. <laughs> <laughs> you, me, Trevin, and uh, Stephen Harper. I think that's about it. I, I haven't talked to Stephen about Stephen's sports. Stephen's a big sports, big sports fan. Big okay. big time, yeah. Good to know. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Dr. Dan McClellan. In our next conversation, we're going to talk about Isaiah, especially as it relates to the Book of Mormon. But yeah, that, that's an issue that I don't think has been adequately engaged by Latter-day Saints trying to defend the, uh, the historicity of the Book of Mormon. Thanks for listening to Gospel Tangents. If you'd like to support me, please subscribe at gospeltangents.com or on patreon.com slash gospeltangents, or you can watch entire videos at youtube.com slash gospeltangents. I really can't do this without your support. I'd love to do it full time, and I need a lot more people that are willing to, to help me out. So I'd really appreciate that. So thanks again for listening and don't forget to check out some of our other videos. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.